0: what's up everybody welcome back welcome to the first episode of the second season of the academics podcast i go by the name of justin d barnett and i'm wasting no time picking up exactly where we left off with informational interviews featuring advertising professionals of all levels from all over the industry Our first episode of the season, our 13th episode overall, features Rosemarie Sanchez. Now, Rosemarie is a part-time guest lecturer at my alma mater, California State University, Dominguez Hills, which is located in Carson, California. She's been lecturing there since 2012, where she teaches two advertising courses, Advertising Media Analysis and Advertising Strategy and Writing. Outside of that, in her full time career, she's the director of media strategy at PhD, where she works out of the Playa Vista, California office. Now, according to PhD's website, they're a global communications planning and media buying agency network delivering smart, strategic thinking and creative innovation for world's leading brands. Brilliant media thinking is in their DNA. A culture of thought leadership, creativity, and innovation has helped them grow from a challenger agency in the UK to a global leader with over 6,000 employees and 100 offices worldwide. They combine the latest industry insights with the best creative minds to produce planning innovation and create award-winning work for some of the world's leading advertisers. Finding a better way is their ethos and sums up how they approach everything, from a new client brief to the way they work. PhDs clients include Volkswagen, Canon, Expedia, Google, SC Johnson, Audi, and Unilever. Now, Rosemarie specifically works on the Audi West account. So here it is, enjoy. Today we have a very special guest. She's a part-time lecturer at the university that I just graduated from um, last week, Cal State Dominguez Hills. She goes by the name of Rosemarie Sanchez. She's also the head of strategy for Audi West at PhD. So, welcome to the podcast, Rosa.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: No problem. So, can you just start with giving the listeners a brief introduction of yourself?
1: Sure. Um, I have been at Cal State Dominguez as a part-time lecturer since spring of 2012. Um, I have been in the advertising industry for over 20 years. Um, I see my job as on the advertising side as um, my career, and I see teaching really as my passion. Because once I started in the spring of 2012, I kind of filled in um, for a current lecturer Mm -hmm. and that asked if I could take the class, and I quickly fell in love with teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that at a certain point in my career, I hit a plateau, and I just didn't know if I wanted to do it anymore um, and really considered maybe shifting gears to something else. Um, but then when I got the opportunity to teach, it just lit, you know, a little bit of fire in me and being able to teach allows me to stay on the cutting edge, stay ahead of trends because, you know, I want to bring what's current to students. So it helped me, um, fall back in love with what I do, but also, um, I realized that this was really the passion was to teach.
0: Yeah, and just for uh, just to be clear, what what courses do you teach?
1: I teach COM three forty four, which is advertising media analysis. So what I do there is I take students everywhere from um, brands and products, um, brands and products that have um, services and products, obviously. That um, I take them all the way through to consumers and how they target consumers. And then um, I take them through each individual media type so that they can not only be able to distinguish which media types are appropriate for the right target audience, Mm -hmm. but also as a consumer, how are they being targeted by certain products and um, certain brands in order to ensure that those products and brands continue to acquire consumers and stay relevant in the business and be able to you know, keep afloat among everything that's happening with technology. And then um, this last semester, <clears throat> I've taught that class um, since I've started here at Dominguez. Mm-hmm. And then um, off and on I teach Comp 342, which is Advertising um, Strategy and Writing. So, what I do there is I take the students through um, what brands, how brands strategize, and how um, they determine what needs to happen in an advertising campaign in order to appeal to potential consumers and ultimately grab them in and lead them into. action, a call to action, which could be finding more information, purchasing the product, advocating. Um, And so at the end of the semester, they are well equipped with a brief in how to develop an overarching creative concept and how to turn that into a campaign. Mm -hmm. And then their final is actually to present or to pitch in 15 minutes um, their creative campaign um, to um, usually I have about two to three evaluators that mm-hmm. are from the industry that come in and um, they are essentially pitching pitching that particular product or organization
0: okay mm-hmm. yeah that, that yeah. 342 is probably my favorite course and uh-huh. my entire time here yeah yeah I
1: love both my classes. I love com 342 because I love it for the creativity of it and it's just it becomes very real so this past semester um, they worked on nonprofits in the LA area Mm. and um, you know they tackled homelessness and they tackled um, Uh, suicide among the LGBT youth community and just to see these students become so familiar with these organizations to the point where they were able to fully communicate um, what these who these organizations are and um, put that into a campaign um, was amazing so
0: so um, when you when you take on these courses how how does it work for a lecturer or an instructor to, like, do you develop your own curriculum for, for each course or is it something that you're given?
1: No, I do. So there is a course description yeah. um, and I, as long as I abide by that course description and ensure that there are um, learnings um, that each individual student can expect to get at the end of the semester, mm-hmm. um, I develop it based off of that. Um, so um, <clears throat> I do not teach from a textbook because um, I find that I found that every textbook I tried to assign was already outdated by the time it went to print. Mm-hmm. So I think that the most real situations that students could be exposed to are situations that I see day to day. Mm-hmm. And um, Technology and advancements. There's something new coming out every day, so I try to keep them abreast of current events and issues. And so that's why I do not teach from a textbook. Okay. I really teach from my, from my personal experience and then the industry. What's going on?
0: Yeah. So when you were a college student, or prior to you becoming um, a part-time lecturer at a university, did you ever have thoughts about doing it before you filled in for your friend? No. No.
1: No, not at all. I had, one of my favorite professors was Dr. Doug Cords at, um, I went to Fresno State, mm-hmm. and um, I was business major, and I concentrated in marketing, and he was my professor for marketing. And he was great. He was awesome. I loved that class. And at the end of that course, um, he told me, you know, I have an opportunity for you, and um, it's in advertising. <clears throat> and so what I did was um, he gave me a form. I, um, I submitted it, and it was for an internship through the four A's, through the MAP program. And um, I received an interview. He gave me a letter of recommendation, and I came to L.A., and I stay, I've been here. That was 20 years ago, so I've been here ever since. But what I loved about him was that he was still working in the industry as he was teaching, and he was able to give us real-life situations. Um, He actually did not allow me to come into class because he had a very strict policy that when it was, and it was a 7.30 a.m. class, and when it, Clock hit 7.30, he closed the door, and the door was locked. Mm -hmm. And just as that moment when I was coming in, it was 7.30, he was closing the door, and I looked at him, and he said, sorry, you're late, and he closed the door. And that was the best lesson that he could have ever taught me Mm -hmm. because in the real world, when you are um, going to meetings and when you are um, trying to present something, Time is of the essence. You only have a short amount of time. And you have to respect other people's time. And um, I try to instill that in my students. I don't close the door on them. But um, I try to let them know that, you know, everything with regards to who you are is really what goes into your brand. Whether it's um, professional or as a student, you need to start building your brand early.
2: Yeah. And,
1: if, and if you are known to be on time, be um, equipped with what you need um, Whether it be a notepad A pen um, And and you know your stuff Then you'll succeed And that is what Dr. Kords taught me And so I did not know that I would fall in love with teaching I had no intention mm-hmm. to teach um, I just wanted to make money <laughs> <laughs> After college yeah. I wanted a job and I wanted to start Making my own money yeah. And um, But but as, as time goes by, I've realized that everything that he instilled in us as students um, has definitely lasted throughout my career.
0: That's good. That's good, Professor. Yeah. So um, you mentioned that you studied uh, business. Mm-hmm. Um, did you always know, like early on before you dedicated to, to yourself to a business, did you know you wanted to work in advertising? No. What did you want to do originally?
1: I wanted to just work in marketing. Okay. Um, Advertising was, and especially media, what just happened to fall into my lap. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do in college, and my older sister actually um, is plays a huge part in my life, and she's um, really my role model, her alongside my mom. Um, and I knew immediately that there was no question I was going to college, and she was a business major, and I wanted to follow in her footsteps, so I became a business major. Um, And then my other sister said, you know, you should really go into marketing. And um, so I thought, well, I'll kind of try that. And, you know, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting to find out who people were, Mm -hmm. um, how to target people, how to sell your products. But um, in Fresno, once I graduated, in Fresno, the only thing that was available was to either be a pharmaceutical rep. Or work for Philip Morris, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's just not the course I wanted to take. I did not want to be a salesperson. I, g- I give a lot of kudos to those individuals that are in um, that industry. There is a payoff, but it's definitely hard to get that trust um, and to just keep on with the hustle every day. Um, but so when I came here, And I started working in advertising. I started at a multicultural shop and at the time it was called Muse Cordero Chenin Partners. It's now Muse USA. And what I saw was I saw collaboration. So I saw collaboration with not only the clients, the marketing clients, but also collaboration among the team. And it was more of a family. And I thought, well, you know, here I am in L.A. This is where I've always wanted to be is L.A. And um, here I am with an agency that completely embraces me even as an intern. And I loved what they did. I was able to go on photo shoots. I was able to go on commercial shoots. Um, and it was amazing. Um, focus groups. And this is, was right out of college. So I figured, you know, I'm going to stay here. But I started as, as an account coordinator.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And what I saw is that as an account coordinator or account services, it's a lot of wrangling the kittens into a box that just keep on wanting to jump out, Mm -hmm. and that's a lot of work. (laughs) And um, I spoke to another individual that was in media, and he said, you know, if you really want to stay on the track of, you know, advertising, um, he said, I would suggest media planning, and so I figured, okay, well, you know, let me try that. So I became a planner, and what I quickly realized is that media planning is a lot like marketing. It, it's a lot of trying to find out who your prospect is, um, who your prospective customer is, and what you need to do in order to get in front of them. Where do you need to place your ads? And so over the course of the years of um in my career, I've had um, face-to-face with clients. And I'm able to present to clients. I'm able to, now I work on Audi, so I sit around the table with um, these individuals who own dealerships. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm able to have that conversation with them about how how to move their business and how to get in, in front of the right person in order to bring the right people into their dealership. Um, who can afford their car, because it is a luxury vehicle. Um, So I found that throughout the course, and this is why I'm still in my career, is that it is very tied to the hip with marketing. Um, And so that's why I love media planning. But again, advertising just so happened to come about. It wasn't anything that I planned.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So before we started um, the interview, we talked a little bit about your role as um, a lecturer. Um, can, so for students who are currently interested in going on to become a professor or go on to get their masters or anything or teach in some sort of fashion, um, can you explain exactly what the lecturer is compared to what the professor is compared to any other type of instructor?
1: Um, I, from my understanding, just because I'm not on campus so much, um, I think um, that professors have the ability to do more research. Um, They definitely are also on campus. Um, They have that engagement with the students. They also play a huge role in the structure of the department and um, the role that the department plays in the university as a whole. So I see professors as really part of that body that's moving you know, moving the department to succeed continuously. And um, from a lecturer standpoint, and and some lecturers are full-time, but from my perspective, from a part-time perspective, I have a lot of flexibility um, to, I have my job, Mm -hmm. and I'm able to still have my air to the ground. Um, I'm still actively working in advertising. So I'm able to um, move quicker with my curriculum. Um, I don't have anything that's set. Every semester could be different. I could be teaching them different stuff. It's not the same semester over semester. It's constantly changing. And I think as a part-time lecturer, I'm able to um, shift more quickly. Um, I think that um, from an over our, overarching our professor standpoint, um, they they play such a huge role on campus that I think that a lot of their time they're researching and trying to to build. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that both part time lecturers and professors play huge roles um, in the university and in the department as a whole.
0: Okay, got it. So. You've been here since 2012, I believe, so I think you're at the point now where you can, you know, log on LinkedIn and see your former students in the industry. Um, you know, what's it like to see people go on and stick to advertising and, like, succeed? Like, how, how does that make you feel?
1: It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I actually, I I was talking to a coworker worker um, a few months ago, well, before the semester, and I said, well, you know, I'm starting class, so I'm not going to be able to meet at this time. Mm-hmm. And I had an individual come up to me and she said, I think you were my instructor when I was at Dominguez, mm-hmm. and she literally sits to um, like on the opposite side um, of where I sit, mm-hmm. like across the, the walkway. And so I said, "You know what? I probably was." <laughs> um, so it's, it's fun to see um, previous students in the field. Um, it's fun to see them advance. Um, I think one of my students is actually now a supervisor, mm-hmm. um, and I think you may know her. Um, I think it's uh, Raven Manning. Yeah, yeah.
0: Sachi and Sachi. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it's 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 been fun to see her on LinkedIn advance um, and just see her grow in her in her field. Um, so it's it's always amazing to see that they've actually got into the industry and they've made it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So last question about this role as, as a lecturer here um for people who are interested in becoming a lecturer like what can one do to um get to that point
1: um so the way that it happened for me is chris rousseau um was the one that approached me so it was just an opportunity that landed in my lap um but what i suggest is just get online and look to see you know community college is um also a great place for part-time lectures. I know an individual here who lectures um, also lectures at um, Al Camino and Cerritos. Um, so I think it's just, you know, if it's something that you want to do, it's you can definitely do it as long as you put the work in and, and you look for those, for those positions. But community college, even private schools, um, an old colleague of mine, she was actually the CEO of... Um, of an agency that I worked at. She's now teaching at Crossroads in Kansas City Um, and that's, you know, a private high school. There's also a Crossroads here in Santa Monica. But, um, you know, a lot of high schools um, are now looking at um, a little bit of vocation into the curriculum there. So, I mean, any way that you can give back, I think, is a great opportunity. And and that's really the reason why I continue to teach um, It's because I came from a Cal State system, and there are other universities like Texas, like Oklahoma, that have um, very um, uh, pristine programs in advertising and specifically in media. We, as a Cal State system, do not necessarily have those resources. Mm -hmm. So what I like to do is I like to provide my students with what they need going into a job interview at an entry-level position so that they are as close, if not more, um, knowledgeable um, as an entry-level as these other individuals coming from an Oklahoma or a Texas or a USC or UCLA. I like to, um, I like to try to give them as much confidence as possible so that when they're walking in, they know that they have what they need to get that position.
0: Yeah. So as, as a person who's been in the industry for, as you said, 20-plus years, um, you started as an intern and have worked your way all the way up to a director position. I, um, I know you've seen you know, a lot of, you've worked with a lot of different types of people from different backgrounds, and the question is, a lot of my classmates now are stuck on the fact that, like, oh, I have to go on and get my master's now, although I want to work in advertising. Like in advertising, how important are the higher degrees?
1: In advertising, not as important as it is on the client side.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: On the client side, um, definitely a master's is is Same. is going to get you where you need to be. Um, on the advertising side, um, it's really all about what you know. Um, how fast you learn, and um, just grinding, because advertising, that's, that's what it is. It's constant every day. Um, you know, unfortunately, the one, the one downside of advertising is that it's not stable. Um, for every agency that wins an account and is very excited that they won the account, you have to think about the agency that just lost the account Mm -hmm. and all those individuals that, unfortunately, if there's not another available position at that industry uh, or at that um, agency, will lose their jobs. And I've been in that situation before where I've been laid off. Um, So um, I think that, you know, you need to just be flexible. Um, You need to have thick skin. Um, But as far as degrees go... Uh, bachelor's is fine. And um, now on YouTube, you can learn anything. So, any type of certifications. Um, Google has certifications that you can spend years on just getting. Um, you know, any type of, I encourage my students, especially Com 342, um, any campaigns that they've built to put them on a website, put them in a portfo- portfolio as spec work that shows that. They have been able to create a campaign from the beginning of a of a creative brief all the way down to execution, mm-hmm. um, because the more work that you're able to show, um, the better chance you have. Because you're really not going to get the experience until you're in the field.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's 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 bring it up to speed on, um, you know, where you're currently work at now on the agency side. You're you're a strategy director at. Um, PhD on Uh Audi West. So what exactly do you do in that role?
1: So I run the entire um, West for Audi. So the Audi Western Region handles everything west of the Rockies. And what I do is I put together communication plans um, and I determine exactly what we're going to do. And we have about, we actually have 18 markets right now. Um, what we're going to do in those individual markets. And it varies, because San Francisco is a market that has changed drastically. Mm -hmm. That market has become much more affluent. Um, It's very tech savvy, and it's being taken over by Tesla. Um, So my role is to find out um, what can we do differently in San Francisco that will make us stand out. Um, And then you also have a market like Seattle, where you have individuals that are starting to move from San Francisco and migrate into Seattle because that's now becoming a tech hub, Um, such as, you know, Vista here in Los Angeles. So my job is to keep an eye on the markets, find out what's happening, knowing that in California we have people in Southern California that are moving to Texas. So we have people that are coming in, we have people that are coming out, we have a younger gem- generation coming in. In 2020, um, we now have Gen Z that will, be, um, that will now be in our target audience. That's a generation that is digital first, mobile first, social first. Mm-hmm. So how does that differ from the 54-year-old that straddles both traditional media and um, digital media? So my job is to find where that balance is and how we can best get those individuals interested into our brand and essentially into the dealership to sell cars.
0: Okay, so I I spent my summer working on um, a a car account also. I worked on Honda um, National. Also touched on some dealership association stuff, like um, regional stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those that don't know, like what you mean when you say Audi West, like sure. can you kind of break down exactly how the automotive industry is structured?
1: Sure. Uh, so you have the um, you have tier one, which is um, typically branding and awareness. So we have Audi USA, mm-hmm. and that's tier one. They have their dollars and their budget, and it's really broken out by budget. Um, they have their dollars and their role is to create desire for the brand mm-hmm. um, and so their advertising message is very brand focus it's all about the car. Um, there's a little bit of a story there but at the end of the spot it will say Audi USA and then you have tier 2 and tier 2 is where the dealers come into play so the dealers take a bit of their profits them into a bucket together. So Los Angeles has several Audi dealerships. Um, those individuals drop some of their profits into a bucket. Those dollars are then used to um, to uh, promote the dealer association. So at the end of those spots, it'll say, visit your Southern California dealership now. And then the last tier is Tier 3, and those are um, Dealerships like uh, Audi Mission Viejo, Audi uh, Beverly Hills, and what they do is they will take a piece of their dollars and they will go out and they will advertise for their own individual dealership. So it's corporate, it's regional, and then it's local dealership.
0: Okay. So in in your role, how how exactly do you measure success? Uh,
1: How many cars we sell?
0: It's... it's (laughs) do <laughs> the through each dealership that you work with is how many cars are sold? We
1: have that, okay. but then we also have what we call KPIs, so key performance indicators, and um, that is all based off of the website. How many um, impressions did we serve in the market? Out of those impressions, how many people actually came through? the website what did they do did they configure a vehicle did they go to a descriptor page did they go to a model page Um, did they ultimately submit a lead Um, finding out more information wanting a quote um, having a dealer contact me and then ultimately eventually we will get to foot traffic which is measured off of your mobile device because Mm -hmm. you always have your GPS on Mm -hmm. so did this individual actually walk into a dealership um, and then ultimately, how do we do in sales? So there's a lot of factors that go into play. Um, and it's all really based off of the media that you run. Um, so the higher funnel, which is television and outdoor, um, which is generally for awareness purposes, is all about creating excitement and awareness. And then as we drill down, the KPIs change. Mm-hmm. Um, and they become more call to action and ultimately sales.
0: Got it. Mm-hmm. So. Each dealership that, like you mentioned, Mission Viejo, Beverly Hills, they each have their own website with their own set of data?
1: Yes. Okay. So, like, so, when you go to
0: Audi and you type in your zip code, it'll take you to...
1: Correct. Okay. It'll take you to their website.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. Interesting.
1: We um, have a... So, that's a tricky thing. National has a website.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We have a website. Mm-hmm. But our website is just the middleman to direct people down to the Tier 3 website.
0: Okay. And for So, the Tier 3 websites... How how much coordination do they do with Audi USA? There's a lot
1: of coordination there. There's um, one company that actually helps to manage that, um, and that's uh, Mm Diller.com. So there are certain guidelines. Um they're also constantly making sure that the websites are clean, that it's a good experience. Um so there's individual people in the field that are working with these dealers to ensure that they're able to um have the most up-to-date inventory on their site um and that they're actually driving people there. Okay. So there's cool. a lot of um a lot of agencies, partner agencies that are involved. Um we're constantly in communication. That is a monthly call that we have, you know, what are you doing, making sure that we know what the left hand is doing, and we're not going rogue.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, So, earlier you talked about you started your your career at Muse as an intern and an account, and then you went over to um, try uh, media planning, but I know you worked at a lot of different agencies in between um, Focus Media and PhD, so... Quickly, can we just kind of like breeze through your, your resume? I'm, you've been at like some really good agencies, some really big agencies, and then you've also been at smaller shops. So, um, yeah, can you just like walk us through your career? Sure. Thus far? Um, gosh. If you um. want a reminder?
1: <laughs> I should have brought my resume. <laughs> um, I actually, so I started off as an internet muse and then I went into Focus Media. Um, Focus Media, um, I ended up leaving because they were a smaller shop they lost DreamWorks, um, and they ultimately filed bankruptcy, um, so after that, I actually left, and I went to BBDO, and I was at BBDO working on Dodge Dealer Associations for about a year and a half, I also managed the athletics, um, the athletic, uh, sponsorships that we had in market, um, which, another thing, when I was at Fresno State, I actually worked at the, um, Fresno State Athletic Marketing Department. Mm-hmm. So I helped run the promotions for all the sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so having a, a hand in sports, I'm a huge sports fan, is always a plus for me. So I was able to do that. Um, I found that you know I needed to move. And, and you'll look at my resume, and it's two years here, three years here, four years here. Back then, you had to move around. Mm-hmm. You had to move around to get more money. You had to move around to get promoted um, and just stay, make sure that you didn't become stale. Mm -hmm. Um, So from BBDO, I went to Saatchi, worked on Toyota, also worked on the Chicago um, Dealer Association for a little bit, but primarily was working on national. Um, I was a supervisor for broadcast there, also handled all of the um, professional sports contracts with um, the NBA, NFL, Um, and then, um, after that I needed a change and I started noticing that, you know, there wasn't a lot of people that looked like me and I felt that, um, it things, people just were not too savvy in diversity and things were said that may not have been thought of before they came out of their mouth. And I got the opportunity to work at a multicultural shop. Having had worked at a multicultural shop before, um, I, I took it. And it was with the True Agency, um, which no longer is in existence, but I, it was really because the True Agency was way ahead of its time. And there I worked on Infinity um, and Nissan, and um, I loved it. it. It was, again, a family environment. It was run by um, African-Americans. It had a staff that were Hispanic, African-American, Asian. Um, It was a true family and the great thing about working at a small shop is that there's not a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. So you have to depend on each other Mm -hmm. and um, there's a lot of trust that needs to be that needs to be there in order to do that. And um, I was able to wear many hats. Um, I did event planning, media, it was awesome. And um, eventually we lost the account um, because Nissan and Infiniti wanted to have everything under one house. So um, I left, um, did a little bit of time in in sales and didn't like that, Um, and then was just kind of here and there. Um, And then I got a job at Castells, um, which is a Hispanic agency working on Time Warner. Again, very family-oriented, loved it. Um, But again, they lost the Time Mm. Warner account. And then um, I was just kind of floating, went to Grupo Gallegos, and then went back to OMD to work on Infinity, then worked on Visa, the global account, Um, and then went over to Mediacom to work on Audi. Audi decided to switch agencies, um, stayed at MediaCom, worked on PlayStation, which was amazing. Um, I was on PlayStation for about a year, and I probably learned the most in that small amount of time um, in digital than I ever had at any other agency. Mm. Um, PlayStation is very buttoned up when it comes to digital, um, and they know how to handle data. Um, And then after that, um, did a little time at, 360i working on Fox Sports. Um, I worked on the World Cup, and then um, I got the opportunity to go back to Audi, um, and I did. And the reason why um, is because the Audi client is a client that is so appreciative of their of the people that they work with, and they see their agency partners as as a true team player. Mm-hmm. And this particular position allows me to teach at Dominguez. Mm-hmm. Whereas other um, agencies, it, it, I'm not going to lie, it's hard work, it's long hours, it's burning the midnight oil. And while I can do that, I've done that in my time. And I really need a place that will support me in my teaching and will allow me to take the time that I need um, to teach one, two classes a semester. Yeah. And this particular client understands that. Okay. So, in a nutshell, that's my background.
0: <laughs> what, what has been your favorite um, account to work on through the
1: years? Oh, geez. Um, well, Audi's definitely at the top. PlayStation, definitely. Um, but I've also worked on New Business Mm -hmm. And I would say that the best new business pitch that I've ever been involved in was Adidas. Mm -hmm. We um, At True, um, we had the opportunity to pitch um, Adidas and um, it was the global account. So they flew myself and a couple of my counterparts to Germany. And at first, we actually thought it was for the U.S. business,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and when we got into the pitch, um, we found out it was actually for the global account, mm-hmm. and we did very well, um, but that was that was probably the, um, the best business pitch I've ever been involved in. And then, obviously, um, Infinity, when I was working um, uh, targeting African Americans, um, the campaign was called Infinity in Black, and we won a gold Effie for that, mm-hmm. um, so... Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, actually, let's, let's stick on, um, you just mentioned the true agency again. Um, for those that don't know what a multicultural agency is, um, can you just explain, like, what it is and why it's important? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: So the majority of larger agencies are focused on general market, which is one message that reaches all, mm-hmm. um, which is great. But the problem with that is that you have, um, specifically on the West Coast, you have, and, well, actually the metros, um, you know, the East Coast, the South, and the West, um, you have individuals that need to see people that look like them. They don't need that, but they like that because it's a bit of a surprise and delight. It's, um, It's nice when you're looking at a commercial and it has maybe a a wink to it, whether it's a word or an individual, um, because it shows that this brand has taken the time to try to speak to me Mm -hmm. and try to speak to my people. And because the United States is shifting in um, demographics Um, it's even more important to have diversity and inclusion in messaging. Um, The problem with that is that not a lot of agencies have diversity Mm -hmm. and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I would say that New York is probably the best um, place for, if you were to go into a larger shop, you will see uh, various different individuals from all types of backgrounds, but L.A. just hasn't gotten there yet, and um, they have been trying, but it just has not um, happened. And so what happens is you have brands that see this and they see, you know, well, you know Hispanics and African-Americans and agent, Asians, um, their household income is high. So, we need to create campaigns that target these individuals, and so they'll set money aside. And good brands will hire a multicultural agency that is specialized and has the expertise to speak to these individuals and communities. Um, Other brands may just say, well, we can just target soccer and that'll reach all Hispanics. Um, that's not the right way to do it. <laughs> um, and what I like to say is that any brand that thinks that they can, um, go on Univision to target Hispanics and BET to target African Americans and blacks, um, that's just plain ignorance. Yeah. Um, that is not the way to do it. Um, that was the old way of thinking. And many times I think that we've gone past that and, um... And I constantly see brands just not doing the right thing. Um, so that is the reason for multicultural shops is because there's still a need there. There are brands that still see, you know, different communities and ethnic groups, um, and they prioritize them, and um, that's what multicultural shops are for. Yeah. They're there to, to teach and also to um, create the message, not adapt a general market message. Yeah.
0: Throughout your career, have you seen the numbers of diversity get better or change throughout your 20 years? And do you see it um, ever getting to where it should be?
1: I'm just seeing it. Hmm. Um, I work at an agency that um, I report into the New York office, but I work here in L.A. And in our L.A. Ph.D. office, there are about, 10 to 15 other companies that are within our building. BBDO being one, DSA, the Hispanic agency, being another. um, RPA, or not um, RPA, RAP Mm -hmm. um, being another. And I am now starting to see greater diversity just in our building alone. Um, But that's been taken in my career 20 years Mm -hmm. to see. So I'm very happy to see it. I think it needs to continue. I think, you know, um, I think that when you have individuals from different backgrounds, um, they offer a lot of insight um, and um, that maybe others may not have been thinking of.
0: Yeah.
1: More unity, more collaboration.
0: Are, are there certain levels where you're seeing it, um, you know, start to improve? Is it mostly like entry-level or mid-level?
1: It's um, across the board. It's across the board? Mm-hmm. It's really across the board. And I'm also seeing a lot more um, women mm-hmm. in director positions also. So, yeah, it's across the board. Okay.
0: So you work with a lot of students. Um, you see them begin their professional life or make the, the steps to begin their professional life. And a lot of people are now applying for jobs. And um, I find that a lot of people are confused about, you know, the advertising agency structure or... You know, the culture, Um, people watch Mad Men and think it's one thing. The question is um, at PhD specifically, um, are the shops you've been at like what's the hiring process like and you know what what should people prepare for when going into these interviews?
1: So, um, the hiring process is HR um, goes out and goes through LinkedIn or maybe resumes that may have been submitted to them. And, um, well, let me back up what happens is I go to HR and I say, you know, um, I have a position, a planner position, strategist position, and I need to hire. And so they'll go out and they'll find um, individuals that are fit the description, which is typically college degree, um, usually advertising communications or business major. Um, we've, We've also hired English majors. I mean, it's across the board when it comes to entry level. Um, you know, individuals that have done stuff in college, um, you know, whether they've had a job um, at the same time they were going to college or internships, were involved in um, campus activities um, and we bring them in and I look to see, you know, what they've done, how they highlight their resume, um, accomplishments that they've had, whether it be on campus or at a previous job Um, And then we bring them in and we interview them. And um, the only thing that I'm really looking for from an entry-level position is somebody that has the drive. Um, Somebody who is eager um, and is willing to learn. Um, And you can tell um, pretty quickly because people show their personality. I, I don't like to talk a lot in interviews. I actually bring a little bit out like what do you do, Um, how do you have fun, you know, where do you vacation because then that starts to bring out the personality because typically people are nervous Um, so I would say to be prepared would be um, to obviously dress professionally, um, to show up on time if not 10 to 15 minutes early, um, to have your resume printed and to just have a conversation Um, Because that's really what it's all about. It's just about having the conversation, seeing if, if, you know, what I'm typically thinking is, can I work with this person? But at the same time, I want them to interview me, and I want them to to think, can I work with her? Mm. Um, I'm always very honest, um, but it's just all about being prepared and putting the cell phone away. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Don't have the cell phone on the table during the interview, shut it off and put it away. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um so let's say once someone once you see people get on the job or you see new interns come in the door, what are some things that interns are, you know, entry level people do that are kind of pet peeves or things that um you see like commonly done over and over that that need to be corrected or should be corrected, if if that makes sense.
1: Working and um, trying to multitask Mm. because there's really, like Dr. Shaver would say, there's no such thing as multitasking. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not being on Messenger, um, whether it's Jabber or Slack. Um, You know, not being on your phone, messaging, texting on social media um, that's a pet peeve of mine because um, in my day to day, I work a lot with very large numbers, and um, we're talking in the millions. And one little error, one little mistaken comma, can mean a million dollar error. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very important for me that individuals are focused on the work that they're actually doing um, and that they just take it one task at a time, um, because a lot of times people will get a list of things that they need to do, they get overwhelmed, and they don't ask their supervisors if they can help them how to prioritize. Um, and so I think that it's all about, you know, focusing on the work, um, and, um, asking for help when you need it. Um, the other thing, too, though, I will mention is it's not always, um, the entry-level person's fault because I believe now what I've seen is that people in the supervisor roles or in the senior planner roles that are training these new individuals that are coming in, they don't have the skills needed nor the patience to sit down and teach. So instead of walking through what needs to get done, how it should be done, what their expectations are and giving a deadline. They'll just throw a task at an entry-level individual and leave them out floating to figure it out. And I don't think that that's fair either. And I think a lot of that has to do with because, um, because agencies promote so quickly now, they're, they're promoting individuals based off their individual work. And they're promoting promoting them into supervisor positions, um, but those individuals have not had any management training, mm-hmm. and so they don't properly know how to teach mm-hmm. individuals the work before they hand it off to do it. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, the entry level people may not be completely focused because there's they're trying to do too many things.
0: Yeah. How important do you think it is for people who are you know new to a job to? Ask questions and speak up.
1: I think it's very important because yeah. everybody has a voice, no matter what level you are. Um, if you don't ask, then you could potentially never get it, never do it right. Every agency has their own process, and um, from from it's better to ask questions when you're an assistant or a coordinator than to get at a director level and not know how to do it.
0: That's a good quote. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, perfect, thank you. Um, so, just a few more questions. What's what's an average day like for you Howard, at the agency?
1: Oh, um, most of the time it's making sure that the campaign is, um, is on track. Stewarding um, our buys making sure um, I'm in communication with the client. I typically, um, I typically call my client every day um, just to check in. Um, He'll usually send me an email of, you know, this is what I need urgently. Mm -hmm. Um, It's typically working on PowerPoint decks um, for upcoming meetings making sure that our budgets are aligned, making sure that we're seeing results that our digital campaigns are triggering um, and we're actually getting results there, analyzing um, and then coming up with a plan of what needs to happen the next month. Because at the tier two level, um, our budgets are monthly based off of car sales. So sometimes we may need to adjust So it's making sure that everything is on track. Also, um, following up on calls from vendors um, and just making sure that we have those relationships.
0: What about uh, time-wise? Like, what time are you usually in the office? What time are you out of the office?
1: Oh, well, because I report into New York, um, I'm on the phone with my boss as early as 7 in the morning sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to get an early start. Um, But... um, I'm usually in the office by 9, 9.30-ish and I'm usually out by Mm 5, but um, I work in between. So if I am working from home that day, I'll typically start at 6 a.m. and not get up from my desk until 7 at night. Um, It just really all depends on what's happening because um, in advertising there's seasonality. So from a media perspective our busiest um, time is the summer months. The summer months are typically when we're planning for the next year. So um, in the summer months, I know, okay, well, I need to schedule this amount of time. Can't really take any time off. Um, Right now, everything is kind of in a low, um, year is ending, but then come January, it's going to pick up again. Um, I also travel a lot. So I need to make sure that the individual that reports into me has stuff that she needs to work on while I'm on the road. And then she may also be working on a project that I'm working on and I'll need that when I present my stuff to the dealers. So it really varies. Um, but usually, um, you have the flexibility just because you can tap in to work at any time. Yeah. You know, my office is in my bag. Mm-hmm. I have my laptop, I have my mouse, and my planner. Mm-hmm. And that's really all you need. Um, so it just, it just really depends on what's going on at that time.
0: Yeah. So the media landscape has changed so much within the last 20 years, with so many new advancements in technology and how people consume media. Um, streaming services to um, you know, tele- like phones, video games, things like that. How have you seen um, well, where was the, the primary primary focus when you began media planning? Like, where were people buying, and what was like the, the best form of um, return on investment? And like, how have you seen it change through the years?
1: So, when I started, it was TV, print, and outdoor,
0: okay, traditional
1: hmm traditional. Um, digital didn't even exist. Yeah. Um, I mean, it existed, but it wasn't a advertising platform. Um, and then now, um, I would say that Google and Facebook have caused a disruption, well, years ago. Um, and now it's less about what the platform offers and more about what data does the platform collect that we can utilize to target people better. So I would say that everything is really revolving around data and it's really a race to which marketer knows how to use their data the best. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's the one that's gonna get the client. In a non-intrusive way that abides by the privacy rules. Um, and and I, I think that that's really where it's changed. I don't think that traditional media is dead, um, but I believe that now there is no such thing as mass media. There is, yes you have TV that reaches a lot of people, but when you have a spectrum that can come in and give you a wired connection into your living room, and in your bedroom, you can access it through a Roku, Mm -hmm. then I can run you a different commercial on Roku than what is being run through your wired cable. Mm -hmm. So TV, yes, still reaches a lot of people, but because of the fragmentation, it also reaches people differently. So it's reaching the the heavy user and the light user, then you have your mobile device, so it is now all video. Um, and when you look at impressions served, you can still reach more people through digital. So, but digital is not mass media because you're really not, you're really not using your laptop with a bunch of people around you. Yeah. It's still just you, and yeah. it's targeting to you. So it's finding out what levers to pull based off of data. In that if I spent this amount of money, and I got this amount of KPIs, and I factor in the government shutdown, and I factor in administration in D.C., and I factor in um, opinions of individuals and uh, brand sentiment and brand image, during that particular time did something happen in January did it happen in March was there a sale was there a promotion? what did my competition do it's a bit of a matrix and once you once you're able to build that matrix and factor in every component that's available then you can typically see a pattern and you know which levers to pull during which times but it takes data and it takes a lot of you know um, a lot of past um, information as well. So right now, the good thing is that I worked on Audi when they were with MediaCom. So I still have some of those results, but the results have gotten better. Now, PhD has been with, or Audi's been with with PhD three years. So now there's three years worth of data where we can kind of start to see a little bit of a pattern um, on, on how we can use, how, where we need to place our media to get the results that, that we want. Okay. And again, it's all based on data, which was not available 20 years ago.
0: Did data just come onto the scene and it was just like one year they're like, okay, now there's this new way of doing things and did everyone have to learn or was it a slow? Um...
1: It was a slow progression yeah. and um, certain marketers caught onto it Um, faster than others, but I still think that um, I'm a huge advocate of needing a um, director of data on the client side um, and also a data management team on the agency side um, because a brand needs to understand their data first before they know, before they can get any expertise on how to make it work for them. And a lot of brands have the information, they just don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And so that's when the agency comes into play. But um, you need to have it, you need to have it in a uh, secure, um, in, in a secure um, um, not format, but it needs to be secure and it needs to be workable so that you're able to um, get some type of insights from it and then put that out into a communications format, whether it be targeting or merging with Amazon, uh, the walled gardens, which are Amazon, Facebook, Google, um, and being able to take your data and, you know, put it in their environment. Yeah. To get the right result.
0: Yeah. At what point in a campaign does the media team come in? At the beginning. The very beginning. Mm-hmm. And it comes with the whole new business pitch
1: or the whole mm-hmm. idea. Okay. Because the media media is the blueprint of your campaign. Without media, you can't place your creative. Mm-hmm. And without creative, you can't you can't put media like there is no media. So, so do you guys
0: primarily work with the account team in the beginning? Everybody. Are the, everyone mm-hmm. even the creatives mm-hmm.
1: okay. so before when agencies were all service were full service agencies you had every single discipline sitting at the table brainstorming mm-hmm. so I was at the table with the creative director and the executive producer and the account director and we would talk about you know what's the concept um, you know I'll never forget Perry Fair um, who is a creative uh, guru I would say he's he's amazing Um, he would sit at the table with us and he would say, you know, I have an idea. What if we put this car on a wall and, you know, well, okay, from a media perspective, what do I need? I need to go out and I need to find um, a wall, and we need to talk to the individuals that own that building Mm -hmm. to see if we can actually drill into that wall and post a car, and there's guidelines, so we need to get permits from the city, you know, so... When, creative, when creatives had these big concepts and ideas, the media was responsible to figuring out how are we going to make this come to life. And um, that came in Infinity when um, we thought, you know, we have these, each individuals, um, Kahinde Wiley was actually one of our artists that we partnered with with Infinity and in Black. And um, the thought was, what if we had a roundtable and we had these artists that we collaborated with and they, they are um, moderated and they talk about design and their art and they attribute that to Infinity and how the car is structured. And then we took that on the road and did, um, you know, these um, network, like these networking events where we introduced Infinity in Black and then we aired it. So at the time... The only, I called around to the stations or the networks, and the only one that would take it was BET.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And BET said, yes, we'll do this. We'll do it during Black History Month. We'll promote it on outdoor. And I said, okay, but it's got to be commercial-free because it's all infinity. So I got a 30-minute commercial-free time buy with BET during Black History Month in prime time. And we promoted that. We went into I want to say seven markets and did events where um, we brought it to life. And that's where I played the event planner. Um, but you know, it's it was those ideas that that were some of the best ideas. Um, now it's a little bit different because every agency has its specialty. Mm-hmm. So now you have the digital agency, the creative agency, the media agency, and the data agency. So because and then the social agency. So because everything is so segmented now, um, it's it's a little harder to sit at the table and, you know, collaborate on a concept. So instead of it being creative first, it's predominantly media first. And it's since we have to purchase media so far in advance, about a year in advance um, for traditional, like television, um, then we need to figure out, okay, what is our budget by media? And then what creative do we need in order to run in these spots? Do we need a six second bumper? Do we need a 15 second? And then we go out and then at the same time, the creative is concepting their ideas and they know that they need running footage or they need to cut it down to a smaller um, segment. So, um, so that's kind of how it works now. It's a little different than what it used to be.
0: Okay. You're actually the first person that I'm interviewing that worked in, that works in media. Um, and as we sit here, you know, I, I just realized that, and I know a lot of listeners, actually a lot of people go into media planning um, initially out of school. Yeah. Um, so, like, what, what are the positions within the, the media department? How's it, how's it structured? How's your team structured?
1: <laughs> so it's a little bit different. Um, the titles are different across agencies, but the positions are the same. Um, some agencies will start with a media coordinator, mm-hmm. and that's just to get this individual in, typically right out of college. We just really want to know, are they really interested in going into media? Because teaching somebody this discipline takes a lot. There's a lot of software involved, a lot of you know computer tools that need to be you know learned, and so it's a it's a big investment. You want to make sure that this individual is really about media. Um, I think that the mistake that typically happens is that individuals really want to get into the agency side and go into creative, so they think that going into media is the quickest way to do that, and it's not. Um, so. So that's the first thing is account coordinator. Then um, I'm sorry, media coordinator. And then um, after that is assistant media planner. Um, some um, agencies call them strategists. Um, and then media planner, soup. Sometimes there's a junior planner, senior planner, and then soup. Um, and then after soup is typically AMD. What's, a, what's a soup? Oh, supervisor. Okay, got it. Media supervisor. Got it. And then associate media director, media director, group director, mm-hmm. and then VP. Um, so that's typically how it, how it rolls up. Um, but I tell my students, anyone that takes my Comp 344 class, if you're in this class and you're able to get through all 16 weeks, there's no reason why you should be applying for a coordinator. You're already at an assistant planner because I'm teaching them the impressions and the CPMs and all of the formulas. And I'm teaching them how to do it by hand, which you don't do it by hand anymore. You do it using software. Um, So they already know the lingo, um, so they're already able to talk the talk when they go into the interview. So I tell them, just apply for an assistant media planner. And you're fine.
0: Okay. So, knowing all that you know now, after your your um, long career, what what would you go back and tell your college self? Um, Like, just knowing everything you know now, some some type of advice.
1: Chill out, because it's (laughs) gonna all work out. Yeah. (laughs) I think, yeah. Um, What, What type
0: of things were you worried about?
1: I was stressed out about my career. You know, here I have this degree. What am I going to do with it? Um, You know, it's the natural, you know, I was scared. Um, You know, here I am in Fresno. I don't want to stay in Fresno. I want to go to a big city. Um, I got the opportunity to come to a big city, but then it's like, you know, I need to stay here. And it was constantly, you know, when we lost an account, I was constantly, you know, looking for another job and super stressed out and, but it's just it's the nature of the business. Um, I would say that when I first started, um, I started out when I was at Focus Media. I was eight hours in the copy room, and I'm not kidding. I used to photocopy, bind, eight hours in the copy room, or I would um, have to listen to radio remotes. And I would have to count the amount of times that the DJ um, on site mentioned the um, the brand that we were that we were responsible for, and I'd have to put that into the system. So after I did that, and after everybody was gone, I went into the media library and I taught myself media. Mm-hmm. So I would say that, you know, what I would tell my college self is, research doesn't stop. You know, research continues. It's going to always continue. Um, you're always going to need to hustle. You're always going to need to be on the grind in order to make it if that's what you want. Um, It's not easy, and it's never going to be easy, but it's always going to work out.
0: Hmm. That's good. I agree. Well, uh, for people who are listening and now interested in getting in touch with you, want to ask you any questions. What's the best way people can reach you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Rosemary Sanchez on LinkedIn. Yep. Got it. Rosemary, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. It was great to meet you. Thank you. Yeah. What's up, everybody? Before we go, if you want to hear and learn more about the ad industry, make sure you check out our other episodes in the podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, you can email academicspodcast at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Feel free to like, leave a review, post it on any and all social channels. You can find us on LinkedIn and Instagram at academics, or you can find me personally at Justin D. Barnett. I'm Justin D. Barnett, and you've been listening to the Academics Podcast.